this month's GSD destination of Haiti, I not only wanted to spotlight more of the magic that I think makes Haiti such a cool and unique country and culture to know about, but of course I wanted to go beyond what the world already knows of Haiti and or what they think that they know of Haiti, which is of course that it's poor and the government's corrupt and they always seem to be a magnet for natural disasters and just tragedy. Oftentimes people's main connection to Haiti, if they have a connection, it's mission related. It's building a church or a school or they're sending supplies or food or they're involved in some charitable aspect. But my goal was really to try to show the highlights of what makes, again, Haiti so unique and awesome with, without all the drama, and to plant some new seeds in the imagination of the minds of GSD readers that Haiti could be a place that's just a fun place to go explore and, and see what they have to offer instead of just trying to save it. Uh, my trip there was in 2008, and I participated in an amazing project with the kids there through Bobby Duvall's soccer program. Uh, but after I returned home, and I always leave a little piece of my heart back in the countries where I came from when I work with those kids, but it sort of led me to a chance encounter with a woman named Lisa Van Dyke, who doesn't live too far away from me, actually. She's a cultural explorer and world traveler and has been to ha Haiti many times. And when I talked to her, I asked her if she'd be going back sometime, if she'd ever be willing to help me out with a, another project with the kids. And Lisa said, of course, and off she went. This project is a similar one to many that I've done around the world with all different kinds of kids in all different kinds of places. And the project starts with a blank body form template, like a paper doll, just blank, and a suitcase full of fabric scraps and trims and glitter and feathers and glue. And Lisa's job was to, to take these to Haiti and work with a group of kids that Bobby hooked her up with and to give them the simple project, create a character that shows us who you are or who you believe you, you are meant to be. And Lisa went in 2010, so it was nearly 10 years ago. But when I recently reconnected with Lisa, we, we, as we were talking about it, I realized what an incredible story this is because it doesn't just end when she came home. The story combines a very charismatic group of boys, a Project Runway identity program, and a massive earthquake that killed more than 100,000 Haitian people. It's a powerful story. I hope you enjoy it. started going to Haiti probably about two, oh, 2006 or seven, and ostensibly to help some friends on different projects, but Haiti intrigued me for a long time. It's fascinating history and culture, and I've always loved traveling, to, especially to places that are not typical, so um, I kind of jumped at the chance to go down there a few times, and so I'd been going to Haiti for several years and spending time um, working with friends and traveling around a little bit, um, getting to know individuals and spending time with them. Um, I met you, Dina, through a mutual friend of ours, Bobby Duvall. And um, so we started to work together and you wanted me to, to um, help you with some projects with some youth groups. So. Um, Bobby Duvall again helped out and um, in this situation it was the Identity Project where we had these um, drawings, copies of drawings of a, just a simple human body shape on a large piece of paper and then you'd given me a suitcase full of oddments, pieces of cloth, 
buttons, doodads, all sorts of um, colorful and interesting patterns of fabric and things, and then glue and colored markers, and I think there was pencils, just a huge number of scissors, things like that. And um, Bobby had arranged um, a couple truckloads of kids, I think there were about 50 of them, from a neighborhood in Cite Soleil, a pretty rough area. And um, they met us at the soccer field that Bobby ran. And um, I helped provide food and some beverages for the kids and sat them down and told them what I wanted to do or what I'd like them to try to do. Um, and what was it that you told them, like, here's what you kids are going to do, and what it, was their response when they're looking back at you with your suitcase full of doodads and, <laughs> and, and feathers and trims? Right, and... the feathers. Um, you know, it's hard to know what they thought. It was, a, it was a group of all ages. A lot of them were pretty young, maybe like eight, nine years old. Um, and I was using a translator. My Haitian Creole is pretty rough. And I'm not even sure he understood exactly what I wanted to do. Um, well, this makes sense because most uh, foreign people coming down there, it's very clear what they're doing. They're distributing some goods or they're building a church or they're doing something that's very obvious or something educational. And now here you are with a very curious uh, project and you want them to do these things. And it probably has never happened to them before. Right. This, this and express was... <laughs> themselves, starting with some colorful trim. Yeah, make mm -hmm. something on this body shape drawing that is you. And right. It's an identity project. Like, who yeah. do you think you are? Or Show who do you want? Show me who you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, here's the scissors. Here's all these fabrics. Um, you can do whatever you want. And go for it. And I also explained that I would like them to, if possible, write down their name, how old they were, um, and what they'd like to do in their life, who, who they are, who they so, would like to be. So of these 50 kids, though, you started to notice a trend of, or, well, not a trend, but a group of boys that were not the eight-year-olds, that they were like young men, teenagers. Right. Yeah. Uh, who were kind of grabbing on to this project in a, in a sort of an unusual way. Yeah, there was a little group of them that were having more fun, and they were they were sitting together and um, really intent. Didn't have to prompt them at all. Some of the kids I had to kind of show what to do or, um, you know, not to give them ideas, but, you know, cut things for them and... Um, give them more a little bit more lead these these young men were just they jumped at it and started grabbing at different fabrics it's like this and, is their project runway yeah. moment they've been waiting for their whole <laughs> life like because they're and, gonna really apply themselves yeah mm -hmm. and they added words on the side of their paper and um and what i'd done at the end of the project i had each kid photographed um i photographed them against the wall holding their piece of work to for me to remember you know, which, which kid went to which thing. Mm -hmm. And there, these six kids come up, six young men, and man, did they pose. And um, so it just rang, they rang out at me. There's something special about these young men. And they're between the ages of oh, 13, like 13 and... and 17, maybe. Okay. Um, although, actually, I think one is 21. One is older. Okay, so the youngest is yeah. 13. There's a couple 15-year-olds, but they're all right. at that... Uh, young manish stage. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and um, which is kind of interesting because oftentimes it's a it's an age where there 
extremely self-conscious. I mean, kids anywhere and boys ex- very self-conscious on how they're presenting themselves. And here's this woman and, and you're asking them to do something that's got a lot of, um, there's a lot of emotion in cr- creating yourself on paper. And they could have been too uncomfortable to want to do that. It, it, it's an odd thing to ask. And these are kids, I don't know them. I'm having to speak through a translator. Mm-hmm. Um, and they could have shrugged off and taken their soccer ball and head off to play. <laughs> yeah, and eating the food I brought, and um, it's it's a really uncomfortable kind of situation to be in. Like I said, these these kids stuck out to me a little bit, so I wanted to find out more about them um, to dig in a little bit deeper. So a few days later, I I um, had a friend. Um, take me down on a moto and track them down to their neighborhood. They a moto is a motorcycle. Okay, like a small, just a small dirt bikey. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, and um, it's a real easy way to get around. Mm-hmm. And um, most of these boys lived in the same area um, of of City Soleil called Buenef, and um, so I went into that neighborhood and um, found one of the boys through just asking questions. And they then led me to the other kids. And wait, so I found all six of them and I photographed them and talked to them more. Were they surprised that you were uh, stalking them? I'm <laughs> just kidding. I don't know. I mean, but that the you're, you're this person who's asking them to do these kind of unusual uh, creative things and how they think and feel where most white foreigners aren't, aren't doing a lot of that. And now you found their, their neighborhood and you want them yeah. to... It's, I mean, it's kind of a... Uh, it would be. I think it could be kind of exciting for them to know that they're interesting. I I think some of them were amused, but I don't really know their reaction. They, okay. Did um, they were they happy to keep posing? Oh yeah, a few of them were very comfortable mm-hmm, with it, and mm-hmm. and um, one of them he he wanted to be a rap star, and he was just pose king. And so the picture uh, that he created, he's himself as the rap star oh, absolutely. what were the other images that uh um, talk about some of the other images that these boys see themselves in the future well they would um one of them wanted to be a doctor for instance um one wanted to play soccer he was that was his goal um somebody wanted to be a teacher there was a guy who wanted to be a mechanic um the rap star and an artist okay and from the the bois Neuf- area like mm-hmm. the likelihood that these kids are going to have opportunities such as that are pretty low nil. yeah pretty nil. Low it's to a very nothing. rough area mm-hmm. and resources you know the kids get to school because Bobby Duvall pays for the school mm-hmm. and um, the kids have to show up and that and so they're getting schooling which is unusual um, for free in mm-hmm. Haiti um, but uh, because school costs money mm-hmm. for each kid but to make as far as like med school and and all of this yeah. stuff, it's these are the, these are big dreams. Yeah, mm-hmm. to get beyond the basics mm-hmm. um, is is really crippling for any family, and um, they just don't have the resources in this community. Um, so yeah, the thought of maybe maybe being a teacher that might be realistic for a hard worker. Um, being a mechanic is realistic. Being a soccer star, well maybe that's a long shot certainly being a doctor is a long mm-hmm. shot um so it's you know they have their kids with dreams but they're also they have a real life around them but it's interesting that at this age um from what i've found 
younger kids that don't have that that practical bone yet they they dream big astronauts even kids from poor very poor areas they don't necessarily realize that they're poor yet they don't necessarily know but these boys you know if they're between 13 and 20 they know what's likely they they can start to see their trajectory through what their parents are doing but but here's you with the suitcase I, there's something magical about the suitcase when it opens and you're like what is this you know and it's filled with like 500 different kinds of fabric and and pieces and scraps and yeah I've done this project in different places and there's always this very um, unusual looks in the eyes of like where did all this come from so kind of uncorks a little bit. Who are you? Who are you and where what's going on so okay so you you're taking these pictures and um, yeah and I get to see their homes um, and um, in a few cases, met family members and took their photos also with them. It was, it was a little bit like being a voyeur. I felt a little uncomfortable, but um, it, it, we did have fun with it too. And um, the kids intrigued me. And um, the fact that I could find all six of them at the, you know, in that one area was like perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and they took, some, they, they took some great photos. Um, you know, and they had um, this, this one, the youngest man, um, 13, I had my camera right in his face, and he just looked right down the lens at me with this "I am solid," you know, stare at me, and um, it just each of them struck me differently. Like this, their personalities are very strong, and um, sounds something. like there's something really special within each of them that they yeah. felt it too. Yeah, and I, it was just a really interesting moment to get to spend a little time with them in their homes in mm-hmm. that community and then um, and then go disappear. The interesting thing about where they live, it's um, it's right on the coast, right on the waterfront there in the um, the Bay of Puerto Prince. And um, all it's right next to the airport. So every day they see flights mm-hmm. from outside of Haiti mm-hmm. come flying in mm-hmm. and flying out. Those planes go directly over their homes quite close to them because the the airport's so close so they're almost the runway is in their backyard and every day these planes because i watch planes fly over and i mm-hmm. think where are they going you yeah, know where, are they, where are they going and uh and then you also see ones coming in like who's showing up you know like who's who's coming in it's it's very these are almost these big existential questions right. and of these, these are life. kids that, that mm-hmm. probably won't have ever have the chance mm-hmm. of leaving haiti but this constant reminder that there's this huge world out there. Okay, so now what day is this? Because this is kind of like one of the most important parts of your entire experience. This is 2010, January maybe 8th. I think it was a Sunday uh, that I went into the Buenef neighborhood and, and met these kids. Anyways, it was Sunday. Tuesday morning, I was going to fly out, mm-hmm. go back home, fly over them as I, mm-hmm. I exited. And um, when I arrived in New York, the earthquake had already hit. And so, so it happened while you were in the air? While I was in the air. So correct. you don't even know what's happened yet? No. I mean, as I landed, nobody knew. And as I entered the main concourse of the airport, um, every, every television in, in the concourse was CNN with the flattened... Um, um, palace mm-hmm. images and the dust rising and 
so few news companies have been able to come. I mean, nobody was there yet other than the local station. So those, um, those images repeating in this loop, a short loop over and over and over again. It was mm -hmm. devastating. And the reaction of the people that were on your plane, there must have it been was, Haitians on your plane. Yeah, it was almost entirely Haitian people that, because this was the holiday time. Um, so the plane was full of family members returning to the U.S. Mm -hmm. from their holiday time visiting okay. family in Haiti. And so it was in pretty much entirely Haitian, except for myself and maybe a few others. Um, and I, the only time I really, I mean, you know, I didn't know anyone else on the flight, but as I was heading toward the concourse, I ran into one woman who was leaning against the wall with her phone on, listening to something on the phone, and her whole body just was grief and despair. I, it was almost like a wave coming toward me, and I've never experienced anything like the like energy that. just waving off of her that you could it was palpable. You could feel her energy exactly just stress and, and yeah and grief and I was just shock. it was it was shocking mm -hmm. almost and mm -hmm. I had this urge to comfort her to touch her to hold her and mm -hmm. of course I'm a total stranger and I and you're still not even sure what's happening no yeah no what idea. is she crying about no idea mm -hmm. and so obviously inappropriate for me to approach her mm -hmm. just kind of eased by but her you were cued in that something's going on yeah but it was it it was so intensely personal mm -hmm. Um, that it was not my place yeah. to um, enter into that. So that's when I eased by her and then entered the concourse. And, and then you're, saw and now those you're images. connecting all the dots of yeah, what's so happening here. Virtually everybody on the plane knew someone in Haiti, and very possibly many of them had somebody die that was close to them. Mm -hmm. um, myself, phone service was down. I tried to call back there and wasn't able to speak to anybody, find out anything going on. So. Mm -hmm. My friends, the family members I'd just spent time with, um, I knew nothing, and I wouldn't know anything for another week. Mm -hmm. so. Um, so did you think about the boys? Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd just seen them a day or so beforehand. Mm -hmm. um, you just, you know, you have, I, you know, as I was flying home, I thought about them um, and wondered, like, where are these kids going to go? What what of their dreams are going to be realized. And when the earthquake hit, it's this whole, like, you have to shift the whole reality of what you're thinking. It's like, is there any possibility for them now? Or is there an aid group that's going to come in? And are they going to get an opportunity through that? Possibly. I mean, not that the aid groups are all that... Uh... <laughs> that they're not that, not that the aid groups are all like solving every problem out no. there they're causing a lot of problems as well but you never know how uh new new experiences new people can shift a trajectory which is kind of what you did in a, in a way um and and to me what i think is really the powerful part about doing projects such as this is you can actually like intercept a young person as they're growing in their formative years where they're so receptive to ideas about their identity they're they're almost like ripe with um with p potential even even if it's not practical even if they're living in poverty like somehow something can change the way they think the future might be. And you never know what kind of energy waves off of that and attracts to other kinds of things, so. Right, and I think, you know, me just even taking that small amount of time as total stranger, 
slightly, you know, a slightly crazy lady, um, to ask, what is it that you'd like to do? And yeah, and Who to say, I am listening. And I don't want you to just give me a quick, here's, here's, I want to be a teacher. You're giving them the tools to sit there and craft with their hands what they think that looks like. I have some fun with it, but also yeah. it's like they can dream a little. They can, you know. Um, but I think it validated, it, it gives some validation for them to have that a slight continued interest. It's like I'm not just here and gone, which I felt like I was doing. But I came back to the community a few days later to see you know, like a little bit more. Um, and in thinking about the earthquake, what I meant by aid groups giving options is that um, there's a flood that goes on after an incident like that or a catastrophe of varying, you know, well-meaning foreigners that flood into these areas. And occasionally there's an opportunity that presents itself um, that they're looking, these aid groups are looking for opportunities to help, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can pan out. So some kid... Like a scholarship or an right, opportunity to study somewhere else. Or... A, ch- a chance to learn English that might give them an opportunity mm-hmm. to further their education or jump into a trade, um, a chance to be employed as XYZ in, mm-hmm. with this group. It's opportunities that weren't there that come in, and there's massive amounts of negatives with aid groups, but there, there are remote positives also that possibly somebody with some initiative mm-hmm. can grab hold of and take to their advantage. And there's also the possibility, though, that looking at their country in ruins where even the capital, the dome, is like crushed down into the atrium. And, you know, with at, at that formative point in their life where these moments start to you know, work on their hardwiring, they could give up. They could think like, you know what, you, you get to dream for a few minutes and then everything comes crashing down and that's the dark side of life. They could, they could go that direction. So, what it, so, so jumping up ahead, three years later, you go back. Yeah, I head back to Haiti um, three to four years later. Um, and, in, you know, there's many things I needed to do and people I wanted to meet again and... Um, other agendas, but I did did really want to see if I could find these young men again, if possible. Um, part of it is, is because I don't like taking things from people who have less than me, and I'd taken their photographs and didn't really tell them what I was going to do with it, um, and I didn't feel like I had finished that task. So and I mean, you didn't have an expectation with them, and you they no. they, they don't necessarily. Th- know what you're doing with it but you you took their time and I took their time mm-hmm. and I took their photographs yeah. and I left a lot of people might not think about that right well it just makes me uncomfortable yeah. mm-hmm. and um so I I you know wanted to be able to somehow bring that circle back and at least give them those photographs so I, I brought prints with me and um had the intent like I said of, of seeing if I could find the kids again um uh, by this time now um the area, Sitchi Soleil and Buenaf, are not as friendly to outsiders as it had been. And um, and I hadn't been there in many years, but I knew that I would need some help to get in there. And it was actually probably not a good idea for me to go. But I found somebody who worked in the community and was very comfortable being there um, to escort me. And we went in and I stopped on the road 
into the community that I remembered these kids uh, belonging to. And um, we got off the moto there and I'm like, okay, now what do I do? I'm just going to start wandering just down the street. Yeah. In hopes that I find someone, I don't know, flash these photos at people asking if they knew anybody. <laughs> I felt really stupid again. <laughs> and um, But there was a small gaggle of kids and young men hanging out at the corner um, and I glanced at them and darned if it wasn't one of the young men it was the kid who had had this direct direct stare at me and those eyes I couldn't forget it was bang and I it's like know. that energy yeah. that radiates off of people in in so many different ways and even though it had been several years like you felt his yeah intensity his energy his his um I don't know confidence or yeah. you have to have confidence to really like intensely stare into somebody right. else's and, eyes and admittedly they were all staring at me you know because yeah I, sure I'm, you're I'm new the white woman <laughs> you're new I'm the, the white woman and I hopped off a moto and um I look clearly out of place so everybody's eyes turned to me um but I did I recognized him and I pulled out the photo to double check that yeah this is you and um, with the with the fellow that I traveled with, we got enough information that he was um, he didn't know where to find all of the men at that point, but he knew them all still. And they're all um, alive. Um, they're all they're all alive. And then um, he was able to tell me a little bit about all of them, but one and, um, got a little bit of a recap and gave him all the photos to hand back to the kids. What did he tell you about the group of of guys? Um, the one that had wanted to play soccer was playing soccer with a team, a professional really? team. Okay, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. A professional team. A professional team. That was really that was really cool. Um, he himself. This was Shelton. He was the thirteen year old at the time. He was out of high school now. He was going to college. Really? I don't know what kind of college. That's a that's a big question mark in Haiti. There's okay. all sorts of fly by night places. Mm-hmm. Um, but he but he's was, still he was heading three on years the, later. Yeah. On the education path. Yep. Is he the one who wanted to be the teacher? Yes. Okay. He wanted to be a teacher. All right. So Um, two for two. I think the mechanic was, the guy who wanted to be the mechanic was in that direction also. Um, The rap star, he was doing music, but um, in local, like, City Soleil bands and stuff. Right. So he was rapping. Um, No big recording contract, but he was doing his music. I didn't know what the artist was doing. Okay. Wilgins, um, I didn't. I don't recall exactly what he was doing. So, so most everyone was doing okay. Still well, they were school. not only alive and they were still in school, but mm-hmm. they're actually forging their way towards these dreams still, despite yeah. the fact that the, the the rubble is still yeah shifting under their feet from this right huge and I think, earthquake. You know, but I think mostly they I mean, yeah, they're moving forward. People have to get on with their lives. Mm-hmm. They don't just sit down and collapse. Um, well, generally they don't because they really have to keep moving. And they have families to provide for and children and elders. Mm-hmm. And um, But you're talking about a country where on their best day, providing for their families and elders is extremely difficult. But it's still done. But they, it's still done. Yeah. It's still done. And I, I'm not going to use the resilience word because right. that's so cheesy, yeah. but it's it's... This people in this world get on with their lives. Mm-hmm. They just have to. 
and um, they do it the best they can, and they still use that fortitude, and their and their as best they can, they use their humor, um, and um, so the earthquake changed things for these young men, but didn't stop things. They're going to continue moving. And for me, it was just a real nice piece to tie that up and tighten the knot of my knowing kind of where they were. They're moving forward, and I've been able to return something to them that I took from them. And um, it just felt good. It just felt good. Would you go back? Yeah. Would you like to see them? Um, it would be really interesting to see if I could find any of them again. Yeah, it really would be. And um, they'd be in their 20s by now. Um, January 2020 will be 10 years. Oh, God. Yeah. All right. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> On the moto. On the moto. Onward. Okay. Thanks, Lisa. If you'd like to learn more about my adventures in Haiti, you can become a subscriber at gsdnetwork.net. And don't forget, all of our subscription fees help us continue our work empowering international children just like the ones in Haiti.